What's up, everybody? Thank y'all for tuning in again. Um, on this episode of the podcast, we got one of my favorite homies ever, uh, Mr. Mahali from uh, from Twiddle. Uh, Mahali is just a really great dude, um, and every time we hang out, we laugh a lot. This was, I think, the f- I'm just gonna say it, this was the most fun that I've had on the podcast yet. Um, we both love guitars. We both love the Grateful Dead. And we both have kids, and we go into all of those. Uh, we talk about touring, we talk about pretty much everything. But uh, real happy to have him on. Without further ado, here's Mahali. How are you? Welcome to the Sad Song Podcast, dude. Yeah, happy to be here. Man. How have you been? How is this? That's what I've been asking everyone. That's the first question. How have you, have you been during this whole situation honestly man i've been good uh it hasn't switched up my like home routine much at all when i'm off the road i usually just stay home with the girls anyway i don't really go out too much i mean other than like hiking and stuff you know what i mean so it hasn't changed my what what has changed is that i'm not going back on the road <laughs> you know like i'm i'm home a lot more yep. which i've i've found has been different for me i've i found i've had a lot less time for my myself dude same than i that i'm used to just because the kids are so the girls just they want to do everything all the time <laughs> there's no breaks you know i've got one she's one uh, lucy's one and hattie's four so oh, yeah raging ages our boy just turned two like last week yeah you're like I was kind of forget that because we always just see each other in the festival setting, but you're like the only other dude I know in the crew that when he goes home is a stay at home dad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kel goes to work, man. When I get home, she's off to the hospital nursing and stuff. So we've been blessed though. She, you know, she hasn't had to work too much during this time. I'm sure she will coming up, but Vermont's been all right. Yeah. You know, not, not like crazy, crazy. Totally. That's one thing Nako and I were talking about. I don't know if you've ever been to his property out in Oregon. Yeah, super dope. Out there, you know, and I think all of us, like the three of us, you know, Trev lives in Boulder now, and I just had him on yesterday. Um, and like, you know, you're in Vermont, I'm in Montana, Nako is in rural Oregon. It's kind of weird because it's, it's not like what's happening isn't real, but the vibe here, and I'm sure it is there, is still at like a two. I mean, yeah, it feels that way right now. I mean, I, <clears throat> Kel says it's going to pick up and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think once we spend our lives in, like, big, bustling cities with lots and lots of people and we get off the road and we're like, I'm out of here. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to the woods. <laughs> here and you say that, too, because it's like, I find that, too. I, like, I'm sure all of us do the same thing when we're touring. When you're touring, you're thinking about being home. And then after you're home for a while, you're like ready to go back out on the road. And I always yeah. have the idea of like, oh, I'm going to get home and I'm going to work on this, this, and this, and this. And then you get home and you're like, no, I have babies. I'm pretty much going to tend to these babies. I guess that is one thing like. There's a few things I really wanted to do. You probably can't see behind me, but like my sneakers are back there and some instruments there. And my, this is my basement. I've been like trying to dial it in and get it. Um, well, I wanted to just, I was just going to make it in a studio and I have everything needed to do that. But 
now that all this is happening, I think I'm just going to turn it into like a beastly live stream room and just try and get like a, a permanent setup set up that like looks dope and have a couple cameras and just start cranking out stuff. Yeah. It's a good time for stuff like that. We don't own the house that we're in. So that's yeah. what I do is I just like, I've turned the, uh, I've turned our porch into like a full training zone. Like I got like a really expensive grappling dummy and like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I forget you're a badass like that. I try to be. I try How long be. have you been doing that? Three years. Um, wow. I pretty much dude. I just like from the first time I went, I think I just got really hooked on being a student, you know? And like, yeah. Really, you're like, oh, I don't know shit. And then you kind of start to learn some shit and you're like, oh, this is dope. And then it seems like every time I feel like I get the hang of it, I just get handled by someone. And I'm like, well, I guess I don't. <laughs> you know, so Damn, I dude, that's intense. Um, I've, I've always said if I was in, a, you know, in another life or like if I had to do some redo here, I might just have gone full martial arts ninja vibes instead of. <laughs> musician vibes the music dude it really, really. you don't have to be like a big dude to be good at it either oh, you know what i mean no, not at all i actually was just uh i'll send you this this clip later it's hilarious there's uh george st pierre who used to be the fucking baddest middleweight ever but he was a coach on that show the ultimate fighter and he had a friend of his come in uh and he was this French guy, French Canadian guy that lived in Thailand. It was just this badass Muay Thai guy, but he got drunk and shit before he sparred all the time. And he smoked cigarettes. <laughs> and he was just like wow. out of shape looking like 145 pound dude. And he came in and just fucking handles every single fighter in the room. And it was just like, it just was like perfect. It's like, you can be a fucking ninja <laughs> monster for sure. Um, dude, I want to talk try about your, uh, your new record. Um, yeah. It's really dope dude there's a lot of um there's a lot in there as far as styles go um there's like some red yeah, blues vibe there's still like the the overall jam blanket on everything it's really guitar heavy um krasno produced it right Kras did it yeah yep we did it uh, half of it in brooklyn half of it in la at at both of his re respective cribs West yeah. Coast and East Coast. Yeah, got the vibes. It was cool. Like, he moved to L.A. about halfway through the record. Mm -hmm. And, like, I love Brooklyn, and it was very cool. I love Greenpoint. So spending time there, and, you know, I get to stay at one of my favorite hotels down there, the Box House. So I really enjoyed doing those Brooklyn sessions. But when he moved out to L.A., like, his new spot was dope. The studio was beautiful, and I felt like it really brought out this these vibes out of us that, like, really completed – the record there were songs that were like done but we weren't stoked on them or like we weren't like a hundred percent on them and when he got to LA like all his homies are out there I mean all his homies are in Brooklyn too but like it seemed like we got to LA and he's like oh let me call this guy he'd come over like Tycoon um he's a ridiculous producer and amazing drummer percussionist and he just would come over and turn these songs make these songs alive and that's why when you hear the record there's a lot of percussion and little dings and dangs everywhere um they the two of them together were like little mad mad scientists like they'd come in and and all of a sudden this song would just come to life in like a whirlwind it's awesome yeah man i'm really uh intrigued about that we're working on our next record and there's like this familiarity and comfortability of like just carl and i pretty much doing everything and then once we have the foundation laid we start bringing other people in 
But here in Trev just finished his record with uh, I forget his name, but the guy he produced uh, a bunch of stuff with Bon Iver. Um, and Trev was saying kind of the same thing that it was like you have this person kind of like you know adding stuff and elevating it and you're like what's really happening and then you listen to the final thing and you're like holy fuck what just happened um yeah i mean i i think there's so much value in working with a producer and especially someone whose musical opinion and tastes you've you love and respect like for me for krasno i've been listening to him since i was 13 and like i've been seeing him play guitar and then listening to all the stuff he did with uh derek and susan um and you know a lot of the songs he's written over time and, and the stuff he's produced i was so stoked to get in a room with him and then we really vibed and you know where i would turn right he would say let's turn left yeah and at yeah. first i would say oh but dude, <laughs> I spent like eight hours on that right turn, <laughs> you know? And he's like, nah, trust me, we'll cut it both ways and you see if you want to go right or left. And every time I would want to go left, you know what I mean? Almost every time I would like what he did way better than what I had originally come up with. And it's that's the the blessing and the beauty of, of having someone else that you trust to <clears throat> get, have musical input because otherwise it would have just sounded like everything I've ever done because I've sort of from twiddle to anything I've put out on my own. I've, I have been the writer, recorder, producer, all in, all in one, you know what I mean? And, and it, it has a sound and a vibe that kind of seems to come out of me. And I, I didn't want that for the solo record. I really wanted something different, something fresh. I wanted to um, incorporate a lot of the sounds from my youth, which has a lot of hip hop and um, like the, cope singer songwriter sort of vibe that was the sound i was really trying to capture um less than like the jam band stuff a lot of the guitar work on the album is actually eric playing i uh yeah you're sitting in a room with krasno and you're like he's like all right take a solo on that spot uh, i'm like well what, like what would you do there you know what like what would what's the vibe like what would you get into and he would play something ridiculous. And I'd be like, yeah, why don't we just keep that one? <laughs> I was like, what you just did right there sounds perfect to me. You know, I would take some solos, but for the most part, I was just having a blast letting him do his thing on, on the tracks, you know? Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I just recently, probably in the last couple of years, realized that I wanted to be a guitar player and not just like a songwriter that knew enough guitar to like carry the songs. I switched. I did the reverse. Yeah, yeah we probably met someone <laughs> Yeah, but that was like a huge thing for me um, is really realizing the nuances of like uh, of different players, you know, like I get down on myself sometimes because like if I were to take a solo, it's pretty much always this kind of Motown vibe. And you've met our guitar player, Stefan. Yeah, know, he's great. Yeah, dude, he can go either fucking full face melt or, you know, the slowest like 90s hair metal solo ever but i was like when the first time he rehearsed with us i remember being like hey man can i play you a solo and like see what you think and i like played this thing and i was like i just feel like i'm stuck there he's like well nah dude that's dope you can just hang out there you know and i think that's really important like with what totally. you're saying is it's like well i don't really feel the need to get on this shit if someone else can do something i like i'm just like all right cool man great yeah. <laughs> i mean i could have that's the thing i could i could have spent hours trying to 
could play what he played or it would have been ours, but I, you know, like it still wouldn't have had my, I, I'm a firm believer that your first take is always your best. Yep. As long as you're like properly warmed up and all that. But you know, like once you get into take five, six, seven, eight, it's, it, it's lost it. I always just walk away and come back. You know I, what I mean? Like it loses that, that, that fire or whatever, you know what I mean? Real, real, real Asperger's level attention span. Um, yeah. <laughs> One thing too, if I feel like something's being forced and it's not natural, then yeah, I like, I put the kibosh on it right away. Cause like, especially if I start even getting lightly frustrated, cause I don't want to, yeah, it's not worth it. Into anything that I'm doing, you know, like a frustrating totally. guitar solo is just not the fucking vibe. Uh, I mean, I'm, I play a lot of guitar, but I'm not the best studio guy. Like, give me 30 seconds to rip an epic solo and I suck. Like, I, I, 30 seconds isn't enough time for me to get out what I want to say. You know, I, I'm a long-winded soloist, I suppose. Yeah, it really trips me out, dude, because I don't – I just don't – I mean, I'm sure if I dedicated all my time to it, I could do, but every time that I've watched you play guitar, I'm just like – I mean, it's just like when I get my ass kicked by someone. I'm just like, dude, <laughs> levels to this shit. Like, you know what I mean? There is motherfucking levels. Because I <laughs> rip some solos that I'm just like – chin to the floor like what the fuck was that dude well you know man when i was struggling with a lot of shit addiction mainly being the the, the true motivator i was playing every night in every bar any anybody that would give me 100 bucks 200 bucks whatever 50 bucks i would show up and play for yeah. four hours sometimes i would play to people eating dinner who gave no fucks that i was sitting there playing music you know what i mean i i remember one gig i i set a loop on my little digitech loop pedal and I didn't turn it off for two hours. I had one loop going and I was just so, and nobody noticed, not even the restaurant owner. They just love a cool background music. But because I did that every night and the bulk of my stuff was, oh my God, I have like four hours to kill and I don't want to sing for four hours straight. I would set these long winded loops and solo. And like, all right, well, let's figure out this melody while I'm soloing. It was like paid practice in a way. Because, and and I noticed, you know, the guitar playing really starting to just sort of that mixed mix that in with all the really crazy shit Twiddle was writing in the first couple of years, all the really intricate instrumental work, which was kicking my ass to begin with. So there's like there was like a two, three, four year sort of like boom where where my guitar playing. I was doing it a lot every day, every night, you know, and, um, and it kind of, I wasn't studying. I wasn't, um, like learning by doing, it's I wasn't like actively teaching myself anything. I was literally just, yeah, exactly. Like just trying. Let me ask yeah. you, is a jam band like in that scene? Is there a, so I grew up in another thing that you had, and I have in common that we'll get into is I also grew up in the, in the jam band thing. I used to, uh, you know, some of the bands like now listen, looking back on it, I think the shows that I had the most fun at were yonder shows and Keller shows, but yeah. I sell drugs at shows. So I went, if there was any shows in a major Midwest city, I was there doing my little dime bag hustling a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, I always felt like, to be in a jam band would be tough because it seems like there is that when you guys are writing shit that it's like, okay, we got to make this fucking intense. You know, like there has to be these crazy changes. Is there a level of that, especially early yeah. on where you're like, we have to be able oh. to make people's minds melt? 
early on it was a pride thing early on it was like yo we want to be the best we want to write the hardest the longest the craziest the silliest you know what i mean it was like, like essentially everybody that's getting into it is just trying to 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 you know conjure fish and yeah. in, in one way especially where we were coming from being in vermont and everything um but you know the jam band scene is is uh i don't want to say a, like a demanding scene but like I find myself, I, you know, when I'm on tour with like Nako or we're doing shows with you or Trevor or anybody, I, I am so, I feel a little like, ah, when, when I see your shows, cause they're so good. And they're so like, to the point where like twiddle, like we don't repeat a song for five shows and you play not a, sets. not a single song with two sets. And sometimes the sets are 90 minutes and that's something like 65 songs we got to like remember and make sure it's tight for like four or five shows. And then not only that, I have to come up with a different set list every night. So it can't be the same ever. Yep. Transitions all have to be the same. Yep. Covers got to be different. Yep. So each night it's like putting on this grand production and then I bring it to the boys and I'm like, all right, guys, here's what we're doing tonight. And we get into the, we set up a, re we have a rehearsal room in the green room. So our green room just becomes a practice room. And then we, and if we don't get through it all on sound check, we'll finish the transitions or whatever ideas I have in the rehearsal room. And we have talkback mics on stage so I can remind them, like, yo, we're not going into this now. We're going to go into be there and then split it to halftime. Remember that, you know, like in the talkback mic as like little reminders. And it's so rewarding when we pull them off yeah. and like we nail them. There's just still that like cool sense of pride when we when we get that done. But man, I tell you, dude, I just want to go out there and play the songs people want to hear, yeah, and sing it to them and have them sing it back with me, and play really good music with it, and not have to feel like I'm, and like, oh my gosh, like what do I do when we play Lost in the Cold on a Friday night, and then on Saturday, a recovering addict Ask for comes up comes up to me and says that song changed their life they heard it once they went straight to rehab and they've been clean for six months now and they drove seven hours just to see that song and i i gotta look them in the eyes and be like yo we played it last night my bad you know and i'm like what the fuck yes. that shit is that shit's not right but then if we did play it that night we get crucified online the next day for repeating a song it's like god guys give me a break yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah it's cool having having your perspective on it man because so for us we pretty much at the i make a uh you know a 90 to 120 minute set weeks before a tour and send it to the boys and i'm like yo here's the thing and then when we're rehearsing we're just trying to find clever transitions but we play pretty much the same show every night and throw we'll throw a couple things in there to fuck around on you guys switch up some covers, right? Yeah, yeah. Like every tour, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll find like what's the most ridiculous song that everyone loves but forgot that they love. How can we throw that into somewhere? You know? Totally. And but yeah, I have always thought about that with jam bands because you know I used to go and you do these like whether you were at all three shows or whatever, you see the set list from like a week's run of Panic shows or Twiddle shows or Fish shows, and I'm always just like. How the fuck do you guys do this? A, playing for three hours a night. I'm just like, I think back of when I had to do that, like what you were talking about when you're like, 
hours and shit. And I was like, I used yeah. to always be like, man, I can't wait until I only have to play 90 minutes a night, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel you. And, and yeah, that's the thing, you know, Nako and I talked a lot about the like online haters because that's a new thing for me that just uh, kind of started happening. And I'm oh, like, oh, get ready, bro. <laughs> because it's the like, trolls are everywhere. And what's weird is that I'm just like, man, I'm a pretty decent dude. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not getting fucked up. I don't cheat on my wife. I never talk shit to anybody. Like, I'm pretty mellow, you know? So when yeah. people, I see like fake accounts, like I've read people writing out scenarios where they met me and I never forget a face, man. I remember everyone, especially if I have a conversation with them. And yeah. People make up a fake story of how they met me and how I interacted with them and like share totally, and like a festival page. And then I'm like, you know, it's just hard. Cause I'm like, do I go in and be like, yo dog, why are you talking shit? You know, or do I just ignore it completely or. Yeah. I just, dude, I, I, that's why I'm not on Instagram and Facebook. Like the hate got so deep towards me specifically towards twiddle but really me um jam band fans are cruel as hell they yeah, have the my, my band my band is better than your band mentality and let's make yep. fun of band if we don't like them instead of just not listening to them or whatever yeah i've seen a lot of that dude i've seen a it's lot rough, bro. It's like what the fuck like so you can't so if you like cheese you have to hate twiddle if you like panic <laughs> cheese like knock this shit off dude like yeah it's really really dumb um i think twiddles sort of stepping out of that like we were the new kids on the block five years ago making all these moves and people like who the hell are these kids where they come from and that's when all of that sort of started and now i think people are just used to us being there they're like used to seeing our name they're like twiddle sucks joke is getting old (laughs) i think people like yeah yeah we know we know (laughs) so it's it's like um but yeah, dude, the the haters. So I, I realize you get any kind of um, success or popularity or anything like that, or or you get a couple people saying that they really love your song or they really love what you're doing, and um, you know, I think people just want to be mean. They're they they're everywhere and they're they're relentless. I mean, I think I'm gonna have to get back on instagram and facebook during this time probably for the live stream aspect of it you know because i feel like i'm pretty disconnected from my fans right now yeah before i used to be able to go play shows and that was fine for me you know i could see them out and that's cool and honestly life is so much better without social media what's that keep a real low profile i do man i really do i don't pop up too often my managers run my accounts. I'm like really off the radar for the most part. Love that, dude. I just have a big motherfucking mouth, man. So I just got so much <laughs> to say. My manager is the opposite where he's like steps in <laughs> what I can do on social media and is like, all right, dude, you got to quit talking to these motherfuckers, man. You got to just ignore them, you know? Yeah, you know, I you can try and defend yourself all you want. And in the end, it's just not worth it because – it's it's only a conversation for that hour and that minute of that day and the next day it's gone and you, and you move on with your life like oh yeah dude i got to him the man himself is now talking back to me you know exactly i don't i don't fuck with any of that anymore man you know i i'm i'm a very flawed human being you know i'm i'm not perfect in any way and uh i have my my demons and like removing some of temptation out of my life has been really good for me. Um, and like just 
keeping focus on what I need to focus on. Like when the shows are over, I don't go to after parties. I'm not trying to get fucked up with the fans after I go to the bus. I go to, I go to fucking bed. You know what I mean? I smoke a joint in the back, reflect on the, the night, put on a stupid Nick Cage movie and, and like, you know, shut my brain off for a little bit, decompress. That's my, my after show, you know, and, and the guys know not to bring anybody to the back lounge on the bus and into like the bunk section when I'm back there after a show, they want to bring friends and fans on the bus. Like they keep everybody up to the front lounge and they're pretty respectful about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, cause I'm the same way, dude. I, whether I'm home or tight, you know, my life is a, a series of regimented rituals that keep me, keep me operating in my best way. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's really cool. Cause our new uh, TM is just kind of on the same wavelength with me and, and it got established his first tour out with us that he was like my ride, you know, like he was with me. Right. So like when I go back to the hotel, it's really nice to have someone on because I want the boys to go out and have fun, you know, like they're single. Oh, totally. For sure. Get out. Yeah. Go meet people. For me, I'm the same way. I'm like, don't bring that shit around me. Because after the show, once everything's in that fucking trailer and I'm back at the hotel, I'm not to be fucked with. Like I want to be left alone because I'm waking up early tomorrow. I got to hit my workout before before we get in the fucking van. So don't bring uh, shit to me. Uh, Everyone really respects that, you know? I got bad respect for that, dude. I'm so not, I am not uh, <clears throat> routine oriented in any way. It's the weirdest thing. Am I, I am like so unscheduled. And I think it's just from years of being on the road. Our life is so much of hurry up and wait. Yeah, dude, just really. You know what I'm saying? Bob like, Weir, it's, Bob Weir said once that everything, uh, when you're a professional musician and it's who you are, that everything that you do in your life is just wasting time until you get to play again. Yeah. <laughs> and on tour, it's such that way. You're just like, yeah, man, just pretty much waiting until they give me the thumbs up to go do the thing. I like to travel. So as soon as the bus stops, even though I only get to see the whatever six blocks around the venue, I'm out. I'm off the bus and I'm cruising. I'm walking, checking out. It's not great because I check out all the dope little shoppies everywhere, and it's, it's where I have t- too many things. But, <laughs> but you know, I I really um I enjoy seeing the country. I enjoy I enjoy meeting people from different areas of the country that are not fans and just talking to them about where they live and what their vibe is. You know what I mean? Like, and so, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time I'm out of the bus till sound check yeah i mean i come back for sound check yeah that's you know like it can get you into like trouble i remember one time like maybe it's two years ago i got up real early in austin texas and it was like my second time in austin and you know austin's crazy as hell i got that one road with like a bazillion bars on it yep and i was like feeling super uh like good that day a little frisky i guess i got up early i went and like i met this dude who's very you know when you meet people with like real infectious energy yeah and you kind of just like i think i want to hang out with this dude for a minute you know (laughs) we like went we went to some bar his buddy owned and like he made me some crazy drink that lit on fire and like like i've never seen anything like it and we ended up doing karaoke 
and then we went to like a like a freak show or something and i saw a dude that looked like the penguin from batman returns wow. and like this this was all like four hours before soundcheck you know i like got, i got back to soundcheck i was like dude i have had a day in austin already I'm telling you. Today. oh that's killer yeah man yeah. i can't wait until we get the bus because for us you remember how it is where it's like we get to the venue at Loden. Right, yeah. We wake up at a hotel and then do our drive to get to the venue. Oh, I remember. I mean, with my solo stuff, I'm still like that. I mean, yeah. I'm, still, I'm still doing that exact same thing. So I, I, I still live that life. Twiddle's nice and cushy. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm at a really interesting place in my career where things just kind of started popping off. And everyone around me is like, okay, man, here it comes. It's about to change. It's about to change. And I'm sitting here like, okay, that'd be really cool. I'm waiting. For <laughs> that'd be really awesome if this could kick on because I would love to have a bus and all of these other things, you know? Um, yeah. But it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a really cool thing. I've just been, especially with this time off, kind of taking inventory of like, I'm sure you do it too, especially when you're on the road, when you have like a rage or show where you're just like, fuck man this is real you know like I yeah we just a few years ago like when we first met like when we came and played in burlington you know and who even knows what it'll be like when we come back might even be the same but we played in burlington you know i think we had like 80 people there right um and i remember playing in denver two years ago and i was freaking out because we sold 140 tickets i was like through the roof and then we just played the bluebird and sold 600 tickets three oh, weeks so ago. great you know, and I was just like, I, th I think I texted you. I texted like all yeah. my friends were like, what the fuck, dude? You know, like we just sold out the Bluebird in advance, you know? So to have that. That's such a good feeling, dude. Ugh. No, man. And that, that's what's so interesting about the timing of this thing for us too, because we did, we sold out the Bluebird and then we played a killer set at Arizona Roots and then played two sold out shows with OAR. And we were just all fucking feeling it, dude. Like we were playing new songs. They were feeling tight as fuck yeah right 2020 here we come and then <laughs> e-break you know but our streaming numbers are going through the roof so like you know people are still catching on but it was just a really wild like e-break on our momentum where i felt like okay it's all you know here it comes here it comes dude i feel you man i mean my record came out february 28th and i was like dude 2020 is gonna be dope like i've got so many cool looks and I was going out with a band, like my first solo band. Oh, yeah. And I was looking so forward to playing with these cats. I put together like the dopest band. And like, I was really, really looking forward to getting out there and like showing the people what it sounds like full, like fully stocked. And um, I had some amazing offers. You know, I had a Red Rocks look coming in and like, there's all this really cool stuff happening. And then I, yeah. And I was like, 2020 is going to be the shit. And then seems like none of that's happening now. <laughs> I don't think so, dude. I mean, no, no, it's going to be a while. Unfortunately, I was talking to someone in the industry the other day and they were telling me how things will get back to normal. The, the thing that's going to suck is like our industry is really not going to be back to normal for a while because it's still the mass gathering aspect yeah. of it. And what's going to happen is they're going to say, y'all are allowed to meet in groups of 100. And then a few months later, they're going to say, y'all are allowed to meet in groups of 250. And then a while later, they're going to say, okay, cool. Now it's up to 500, but it's going to stay at 500 for a while. So like shows and festivals, anything that's like drawing over more than like 500 people at a time, which is every Twiddle show. Yep. And 
some of my Mahali shows. Um, those aren't going to be back. Not to like, like people are crazy. I think when they think that all the festivals are actually going to happen in this fall, I think the big, big gatherings probably won't be back till the following fall or the following summer, you know, yeah. like summer 2021. I mean, I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong. And I hope this person I talked to is wrong. So, so very much. Otherwise it's going to be lots of shows in small rooms. Yeah, I mean, you know, which is fine with me, but as you know, too, when you just turn that corner of starting to hit that three to 500 mark, your festival pay starts to go up substantially. Everything goes up. Not only that, man, but you, you, that's when you shoot out. Like when you start getting to that level, that's when things really spread. That's when you start seeing you jumping to those venues in every city you're hitting. And then the cities that you were always doing good like that, you're hitting the next tier. Yeah, and those cities yeah. are now jumping up to 800,000 cap rooms. And then look there, and then there you are. And then that's, that's like, I was saying to myself, when I started, I wanted to just play at Nectar's. And then when we finally played at Nectar's, I wanted to play at higher ground. And yep. then we finally got an opening slot in the little room at higher ground. And, you know, you, you set these goals for yourself. Yep. And then they change immediately. And then as soon as you get that goal, you set the next goal. And, like, I, I had Red Rocks as my end-all goal. Yep. And I've been blessed enough to play. I've played Red Rocks, I think, six times since I set that goal. And and um, so I set my next goal, right? I want I want the garden, you know? Yep. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'll ever get the garden, but that was my next goal. And uh, and and then I was thinking about it the other day. And I was I was sitting here kind of reflecting on everything. And I was like, you know what, man? If I had said to myself when I was 18, yo, bro check out where you are at 33 no i would have been like yo i fucking made it like i hit i i am where i want to be like i'm touring at the level of all my favorite musicians at that time like i'm there i did it and it was this is this realization where like yo i like got there that's like i'm good i'm good like i'm still hungry i always want to hustle i'm always striving for the next but it is nice to kind of understand that like I did it. Like I, I, I got to. My wife makes fun of me because I say that all the time. I'm like, dude, 16 year old me would be fucking thrilled with my life. Cause yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody, dude. I'm gonna right. be a touring musician. I'm gonna live in like a cool little mountain town in Montana. I'm gonna have a family and I'm gonna have a shitload of guitars. And I'm just, you know, that's gonna be my life, dude. I'm not gonna have a real job. I'm just gonna play music and have a family. Yeah. Um, and here we are, dude. That's actually what we're doing. You know. It's a blessing, man. It's the ultimate blessing. So yeah. many people out there don't get to do what they love. It's oh, really sad. The other day I was in my backyard shooting my bow and I was like thinking like, I haven't thought about what my life purpose is in a very, very long time because I've just been living it. And yeah. I remember like, cause I, I have a neighbor and I was just thinking like, he's about the same age as me and he kind of just bounces from job to job and and I was just thinking like, man, that would be a really hard thing to have to deal with every day. I was like, fuck, what am I doing with my life? And I just realized what a privilege and a blessing it is to be like, man, I haven't had to think about that since I don't for many years. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been pretty clear. on yeah. what I'm doing. I mean, we are, we are the luckiest people on earth in that retrospect. You know what I mean? I think like there is lots of people out there that 
I would say 65% of the people in the world don't love what they do with their whole hearts. They have other passions that are their true love. Yes. And maybe they find it once they've retired or that's what they do on the weekend. So it's equally fulfilling, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think a lot of, and honestly, like children is like having kids to me is the most uh, rewarding thing life can give you. Yeah. At least for me, maybe, maybe it doesn't speak for everybody, but um if I didn't have music, but I did have my kids, I think I would still feel fulfilled, even if I was working a job I didn't like. Not as fulfilled by any means as I am now, but I think I'd be all right if I had them. If I had them to come home to and just have, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's like this weird sense of pride. Like, I'm sure you do this with your kids too, man. But I stare at my kids because i have three step kids that i've been with for 10 years that are my kids you know their dad hasn't been right and you know they were four six and eight when i got with them and you know it's been 10 years now and like that's that's intense yeah dude and i look at their faces sometimes and like dude you know colton is 16 coming up and i'm just like dude you were in third grade like you were just a little boy and now you're 16 so now with the new baby i have this whole perspective change of just like you know it's hard when they're babies because they're like crazy and they just are like destroying oh dude and i always have to bring myself back to looking at his face and like dude you're gonna be a teenager soon that's just the reality (laughs) (laughs) yeah yep i'm scared as all hell for that man i'll tell you what yeah i got a very very beautiful uh 14 year old daughter that used to be this just cute little girl was always and then it like I took her to Colorado for my manager's wedding and there was this weird shift I took her to the mall to get her some school clothes and she was like trying on these jeans and she like did this weird look in the mirror and my fucking throat swelled up and my heart dropped no no she's becoming a young woman stop stop you know and it was hard yeah it's a wave you're uh yeah, oh, bro, I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, I you know, I'm a pretty laid back dude. I truly am. I'm I'm I don't I don't really let too much get under my skin. Um and god, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know like how cool as a cucumber I'm going to be when as, they turn. High school. And really yeah. what you do is you just kind of see again, you just start thinking of like, well, when I was you know, a 14-year-old boy, my life pretty much revolved around chasing girls. Totally. Yeah, no, man, I was awful. When I wasn't awful, I was just was a man on about the town at fourteen. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're full of hormones. I was a young bloomer though. I was getting into all kinds of shit at young ages. You know, my, I was really good friends with my brother's friends, so Same. I was just exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for me dude that was when i started like partying partying no me too i just like for some reason the first time i took mushrooms just popped into my head at 13 years old like in my buddy's house not at all prepared to eat an eighth of mushrooms at 13 i didn't know what mushrooms were i, I saw my older brother eating them i thought like a magical leprechaun was going to appear and talk to me and like things were going to like all of a sudden, my apple was going to be huge. You know, like I had no clue. One, the spiritual level of mushrooms. And two, the like, yo, shit's about to like melt. Yep. Like, and your whole perspective of everything's going to shift. Yep. And it was so intense. And my buddy, like my other friend, he just got this video camera and he's filming me. And it's a funny video to watch because you see me going through all these stages of like, oh my God, panic. And then like, 
what is happening? This is cool. This is not cool. And all these different things shifting. And yeah, what a little runt I was back then, just getting into all sorts of trouble. Dude, that is a perfect segue into uh, something that you <laughs> have in common that I don't think anyone else in our circle does. You and I absolutely love the greatest American rock band of all time, the Grateful Dead. Indeed we do. Um, I've been very blessed in that. But I've, yeah, I want to get into that. So for me, hands down, the greatest American rock band of all time, the most influential cultural band in American history. How the fuck? Like, so just so you know, a personal dream of mine, like we were supposed to do Red Rocks this year. It's going to happen, obviously, now. You know, I also had all of those those markers and I've hit hit a lot of them in the last year or so but playing on stage with Bob Weir is I honestly I would I could think of a lot of things I would trade to do that so how (laughs) did you uh how did that because you've played with Phil you've played with Bob you played with pretty much all of them right I've played with Phil and Bob a couple times um I have played with I haven't played with Mickey. That's the one I haven't played with. Uh, but I played with Bill. So, yeah, um, it was pretty natural. Um, how it all sort of happened was Midnight North, Phil's son, Graham's band, Graham Lash, opened for us at Brooklyn Bowl one night. Um, and we had suggested maybe in between their set and our set, maybe playing a song or two together, acoustic, like uh, just me and Graham on acoustic and Elliot Peck, the singer from Midnight North. She's amazing. She was going to join us. So it's going to be three-part harmonies and then two acoustic guitars. And we just picked a couple tunes, one of my songs, one of their songs. And I think we did Eyes of the World, one of the, a dead tune. Um, and we just hit it off that night. And I kept in touch with Graham and, and we had, um, we did some tours with them. And Graham uh, you know, they have the restaurant Terrapin Crossroads out in San Rafael. Have you played there? You guys should play there. No, we have. It'd be great. You would love it. Oh, you would love it, bro. Um, and Graham, they invited us to come out and play. And Graham said his dad had was interested in, in, in um, sitting in with us that night. And um, Phil was in Hawaii. We were really stoked, but Terrapin Crossroads made the announcement that Phil was going to be playing, so that kind of, like, went all over the internet that he was going to come out and play with us. And he didn't make it. His plane didn't make it. We were all, all like, super, super sad. You know, we were all pretty devastated. We were very excited to play with Phil, and it didn't happen. Um, And then I'm trying to think. Yeah, so we had Tumble Down, and Midnight North was on Tumble Down, and – Graham was like, yo, my dad is coming. He wants to come to Vermont with my mom and just, like, hang and watch the show. Phil loves watching Graham play, like, loves watching Midnight North. Every time we did – we went on tour with Phil in Midnight North. It was called the Unbroken Train. Unbroken Chain? Unbroken Train, one of them. Um, So it was Phil and Terrapin Family Band headlining Twiddle and then Midnight North to start the night. And we did, like, a little caravan like that. And um, so – Sorry, I got a little sidetracked with that. <laughs> so, yeah, so pretty much Phil came out and um, said he would sit in with us at Tumble Down. It was incredible. I mean, he, he played one of our songs, and we did Eyes of the World with him. And then from that point on, I've played with him quite a bit. Um, he he, Actually, I would say my, my greatest Red Rocks – maybe not my greatest because I have a couple of cool ones – 
to choose from as like my favorite experience playing there. But Phil had me at Red Rocks. Yeah, Phil had me come out and play and sing "Fire on the Mountain" as the encore for his Red Rocks show. Damn, son. Yeah, and then and then they kept me up for "Music Never Stops." It was crazy, dude. I was like. I was, that was the most surreal thing, walking out to, like, a sold-out rock show, like, with... With Phil singing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck. But the, but the Bobby thing, I've only played with... I've played with Bob three times. And the first time was at Terrapin Crossroads. Graham called me, said, hey, you want to come out and play some sets with me? And then my dad and Phil and Peter Rowan Ooh, were all there. Dude, I was... The cool... I'm a huge Peter Rowan fan. Yep. Panama Red's one of my favorite songs and the, the whole album, uh, you know, like all the new writer stuff, all of that was like my jam. And I didn't even know Peter Rome was going to be there. I just thought I was going to be playing with Bob and Phil. It was really cool. I was stoked. So I was out there and Peter was there and I walked by him. That was when I had my long hair and everything. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the album cover to Panama Red to the new writers album, but it's like Panama Red's like on the cover and he looks kind of like a pirate. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. And and Peter goes, hey, man, anyone ever tell you you look like Panama Red? And I was like, what? <laughs> I literally looked up and was like, uh, uh, no. And he goes, I'm going to call you Panama today. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, so happy. Um, yeah. And Bob Weir walked up and um, Phil he, said, Bob? He was really intimidating when I first met him, like super, super scary kind of. He wasn't mean or anything. He's just like a presence, you know. Um, Phil said, we're all standing in a circle talking about what we're going to play. And, and you, Bob's sort of looking at me, kind of like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, I know everybody else here except for that guy. And then and Phil goes, hey, Bob, this, this is Mahal. He's going to be playing some music with us today. And Bob sort of looks me up and down, literally the full head-to-toe twice up and down and then just goes cool looks like we're gonna have some good old clean american fun and just walks <laughs> on stage <laughs> That's a, I, was, I was like all right all right i sang scarlet begonias and he goes who's singing it and i was like oh like on stage while we we're there and graham goes mahali's gonna sing it we're gonna do like a three-part harmony thing well i was okay and uh we played it was great Bob sang it with me. We all sang it together. Um, I didn't mess up the words. That's and uh, it's important. Can't do that. And it was great. Um, I feel like I would. I feel like I would. I just because I get nervous, dude. I, if I was on and the sublime version of that song is always in my left ear, even no matter what. I can't get Bradley's voice out of my head when I'm playing that song. So I have to, like, really focus when I'm singing it to make sure I don't say as i was walking down rub-a-dub square <laughs> yeah. Dude. Uh. <laughs> yeah man i recently it's crazy because i'm working on a new record right now and i've been like fully engulfed in all of the acoustic dead stuff um oh so good a lot of the acoustic stones takes um and there's kind of this weird like i don't know man to be honest i think something happened to me when we were in north carolina last fall we were there for like four days and all I was listening to was the Allman Brothers and Marcus King and Chris Stapleton. And then I just started yeah. fucking songs, dude. 
and there's just this weird cool layer of like 70 that southern sound yeah dude and i just am like at first i was kind of trying to stop it and then i just i like started playing the songs for the boys at soundcheck and then when and when we were in denver we finally rehearsed them all and played them and everyone's like dude these are the fucking coolest songs that you've ever written like don't try to cut this thing off whatever this vibe that you're settling into like follow it down the rabbit hole so i've been on yeah. this huge like country country dead kick um and you know bobby was the was the fucking man for all of that stuff you know dude bob you know those two times i just told you about were um or the yeah that was the, that was the first time i met bob the second time we were at great american music hall and he was kind of on his own and that I, that time i actually got to like talk to him a little more and sit with him and like he's super nice he let me like sound check his strat the one he plays all the time the like natural colored one i'm sitting there like clink he goes make it what do you say like make it sound make like it loud sound like- loud and bright or bright loud and shiny or something like that like he said something like that i just had to make it loud and you know that ice called bobby ice yep. <laughs> you know what i mean um he like couldn't figure out his pedal boards so i was trying to uh he has a pretty intricate rig and it was all over the place so i was trying to um figure that out for him but it was really cool to you know sit like just sit with him in a room and talk it was it was really nice and then at lock-in this year he played with us again we had a uh, kraz him and John Popper up with us to do eyes of the world. And that was really fun. That was like, we got to talk a little bit about music with Bob there when we were going over the song and get like a little bits of his insights on his own music. And it was, it was very cool. Was yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm definitely a Bobby guy. I just always, always have been, man. I just think, um, I mean, everything that that band did is fucking gold to me, but, um, there's just something about Bobby that was real. I think the thing that's appealing about the dead in general, but especially Bobby is there's this just kind of weird humbleness in being one of the greatest bands and biggest bands of all time. Um, And there's just nothing about him that exudes arrogance or um, uh, cockiness at all. He just really is trying to be a part of the universal consciousness you know and like i i feel like he's serving the world you know he just figured out that music is his his input into the universal consciousness and uh i mean bob is bob bob is one of the i mean if you look at all the dudes after jerry died and you see who went out i mean obviously phil and bob toured the most but bob always toured yep and bob also i i I have a lot of respect for him in the sense that w- once, um, you know, once Jerry passed away, he was he was still writing his own music, and Rat Dog had their own songs and their own thing. Right. He wasn't just playing dead songs. I mean, Phil wrote songs too, and they were all awesome. But you know, I think for the most part, Phil was playing the dead tunes and and putting together the most amazing bands to do that. I mean, I was a Phil guy, a Phil and Friends guy. I loved those shows. I loved hearing the different lineups to do different takes on the dead tunes is one of my favorite things. So I was always going to Phil shows. I mean, I read, obviously I'm a Jerry guy because of the guitar playing. I mean, like I, I, and I wasn't, Jerry was new, a new discovery to me as far as guitar goes. Yeah. I had already been playing a lot of lead guitar before I really got into his, you know, playing, but 
it's you know the the craziest thing about the Grateful Dead, and I say this a lot. They're the only band that I can think of that on any day of any night, and well, maybe not right now, but in normal times, on any day in any city in this country, pretty much at any minute, in any bar, someone's playing a Grateful Dead song. Right now, someone's playing a Grateful Dead song to someone. Yep. Probably hundreds of people are playing a Grateful Dead song to someone, actually physically playing it and singing it. You know what I mean? There's, there's a major Grateful Dead cover band in every city. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. At least every major city, there's at least one or two. You know, we played Wormtown last year. Um, oh yeah, Wormtown. I know about that. <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> um, that's that's an East Coast. Uh, yeah, kind of encompassing vibe. Um, oh, oh yeah, there's a dead cover band called Playing Dead that I never yeah. seen live before. And bro, I don't often even go out into the crowd unless it's to like. W- you know, right after a show, I'll go and like take pictures with, with fans and talk to people and stuff like that. But usually when we get there, I just always kind of want to hang in the back before we play. These yeah, me too. Playing though, dude, I literally went out in the crowd and did a whole St. Stephen in the Terrapin station. I mean, the boys were laughing at me cause I was literally in the crowd dancing my ass off for like 30 minutes before our set, you know? And yeah, that's good though. You know, it gets, sometimes it gets it out. I, I forget. When music moves me to do that, I feel so good after. It doesn't happen that much. Totally, dude. Yeah, and these, you know what I mean. Like, it was like, I closed my eyes and was at a dead show. And the thing that like snapped me back to it was this dude passes me a joint, goes, "Hey, you're that fucking guy, man." And I was like, "What? <laughs> I forgot that I, I forgot fully." Oh yeah. Like, oh, I'm just people are watching me. You're that fucking guy, aren't you? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a fucking guy. Yes, I guess. Yes. Uh, and it kind of broke, snapped me out of it, but, uh, really, yeah. Yeah. There's some good Grateful Dead cover bands out there. That's always an interesting thing to give yourself to. I would. Bro, not only are there good Grateful Dead cover bands, there are bands that are making a killer living. Half touring in buses, yeah. playing just Grateful Dead music. And nobody in that band is in the Grateful Dead. I mean, think about that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely insane. No, no other band in history can say that they've, they really yeah their cover bands are like making a better living than most musicians in the world absolutely dude uh dude okay so you told me at one point how many guitars you own do you know how many do you have i've I've acquired some i'm the pawn shop king on tour let's see one two three i think i have something like 25 electrics and um probably 50 no, not maybe like twelve acoustics. Um, and some are really nice. Some are like this one actually. Oh, there's a '59 Martin behind me. I see that. that I, it's it's you know Kurt Cobain's uh, unplugged. He played the Dreadnought version of that. I I don't Dreadnoughts are a little big for me, so I I found this uh, '59 and I've been loving it lately, man. Something about those old Martins, dude. You're Martin. Just. Oh yeah, I love my Martin is like my one of my favorite guitars. I mean, they that's they they knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, that's a dream of mine is to get a. It's interesting, man. I um, I remember a few years ago when you told me how many guitars you had. I was like, that was outrageous. And then fast forward a year, and I'm like, I have ten in my house. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not all like amazing guitars. You know what I mean? I, I, they all hold some kind of value to me. I would say like 
all of my actually i probably have a little more of the electrics my my electrics the custom my ones i played for twill i've gone through i have four Kalos models the newest one being the like cream of the crop the creme de la creme the best probably the best electric guitar i've ever played um those ones are all like you know really fancy expensive guitars but i have like some epiphones and some stuff that i had growing up sure that i really loved and then some pawn shop like no name guitars that i just thought looked cool yeah. you know that that's now great plugged in i mean i'm a firm believer that a good set of pickups and the right hands and you can make just about anybody any instrument sound amazing you know I, especially it's funny you know g love i remember growing up and going to his shows and he was always playing the most jank looking guitars dude and they always sounded so fucking cool g yeah g was the man he would always play those um you know like back in the day you'd buy guitars out of like sears catalogs yes you know what i'm saying yep. and those are the guitars g was always rocking like those yeah, that's hilarious. for me so much is like i just if i'm looking for a tone i want to be able to find it you know so i have you know a telly a jaguar a jazz master and then d'angelico just sent me this i mean the people listening can't hear it but this is their new uh dc mini oh dope dude yeah so it has those are great it has humbuckers but you can switch them to single coils yeah they gave me one at lock in is it the three-way split or yep. does it have little knobs on it does it have that weird way pop the knob out you know what i'm talking about single coil yeah 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 they had this prototype they gave me which had this weird so it's just a regular three-way uh pickup selector but picture it as like a v so like there's you can go down three ways on one side and then you click it over to the next and then go down three ways or that side so one is single coil one is humbucker it was it's a little confusing but uh i lent that guitar to a friend i forgot about that guitar actually I should, probably, should probably get it back <laughs> yeah they've been really cool man they we played uh, a couple of their acoustics uh at a pace session and i love doing paste it's a good yeah we've only done one man and d'angelico hooked it up dude they sent us two acoustics that uh stefan and i used for encore on a couple tours and then i played one of these in aspen and my manager hit him up and was like yo dude drew loved this guitar and they gave me one which is really sweet of them to do <laughs> that dude that's the shit <clears throat> companies that are like that i have a lot of respect for yeah, and I mean, the guitar is all over the the new record, too. So that's a big win for everybody. Like, I think that's all that I played on this. My buddy uh, Taz has his new D'Angelico model. Yeah, I've never met that kid, man. He fucking shreds, though. Oh, dude. He is a little homie. I had him in my band, bro. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he was oh, my second man. guitar player for this run we were doing in the Midwest. But hopefully we can line it up again. He was opening for me on the whole run. Oh, that's badass. Um. All right, dude. I have some standard questions that I ask everyone, um, and we'll cut. All right. Them. I'm gonna have to modify these for you because you uh, love the dead. So I'm hoping that's in there. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. What was the first record or song that made you cry? Who? Uh, that made me cry. Probably Counting Crows, August Everything After. Interesting. Great. The song would have been. Well, I was just actually talking about this. the The record came out the year my dad died, um, and it's a pretty like. 
it's a pretty heavy record like if you listen to what he's saying but for the most part i wasn't i was a kid i wasn't listening to lyrics i was listening i was feeling vibes you know what i mean something about the sadness and round here yep that song i cover it all the time that's um, I, your voice yeah i think that one um definitely that one for sure probably that that record that's a good answer um what was the first thing you heard that made you know you wanted to be a professional musician it can be a song or a band or a record uh it was a dave matthews band concert i just was my first like wasn't my first concert but it was my first like concert like knowing i was going to see a show you know yep. what i mean yep. and uh i was just so in love with everything about it from the fans interactions to the party that was happening to the sound of the music and watching them on stage. I was just, that was it. That's what I wanted. Yeah, man. I, I feel, yeah. I went to, um, I was during the Bush carry election. It was my morning jacket, Jurassic five, Ben Harper, Dave Matthews. Um, and it, I remember being sick in fucking stadium and watching my morning jacket play to, you know, maybe 300 people, you know, and it was like where the Iowa State basketball team played basketball, yeah. like 20K. Um, Damn. Yeah. And just being like, who the fuck are these dudes, you know, and they rock so hard. But Dave was another one for me that I was just like, I was blown away at how good this is, they were and how big the sound was and the fucking horns and the violin. Totally. The best. It's such ever. an epic like when they crack into a song, you're like, whoa, <laughs> it's so big sounding. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I really. And to like, you know, one thing I've always really loved about uh, Bob Weir is the same thing that I've always really loved about Dave Matthews is like hearing a rhythm guitar player that isn't just fucking playing quarter notes that is like really playing crazy intricate shit and shape and like doing their own thing while they're playing rhythm guitar yeah dave is a crazy 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 guitar player people don't give him enough credit i don't think you know how hard it is to sing and play those those riffs (laughs) it's like hands is going the whole time yeah yeah it's funny yeah and that like that you can point out with haters it's like people talk shit about dave matthews band i'm like i just i just don't get it like i'm just like then shut the fuck up and don't listen to it then like yeah that's how i've always been i don't understand why to go out of your way to do that it's weird they're clearly very happy people with with hobbies uh what is your favorite hip-hop album of all time you can you can have multiple answers oh dude i don't wow i mean I don't know if I have like a single album. Like I listened to a lot of Tupac growing up. Same. And I was on the East Coast during all of that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and everybody around me was really kind of Biggie. I love Biggie too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I I have a crazy amount of respect for both those cats. But I just I was just into Tupac more. Yep. I don't know. I liked his delivery. Um. As far as albums go, you know, I got really into Eminem too. Like when he when he first came out, it's, it's like I don't. That to me seems a little more like pop than, but I guess it. I don't think he meant. To I be. mean, 
it didn't mean to be. I mean, Dre made all those beats. Yep. That that shit was dope. Imagine how I shocked mean, he was, man. So I, I I think about Eminem too of like I just find it hard to believe that when he released the Marshall Mathers LP that he was like, This motherfucker's going fifty times platinum. You know, there's I, I, I I don't know on that record, you know, and it was literally number one for almost a year. Yeah. I mean, I that was crazy, dude. That's a weird time. And and Marshall, I mean, Eminem definitely like came in his own as a lyricist too. Like, you know, he had the shock value of the first record and parts of the second record, but then he started like just yeah when he started digging i mean he's he's so ridiculous i still hear his shit and i'm like ah yeah he's nasty he has this way of like building his uh verses like a volcano so like at the very end of it he's like <laughs> <I agree. laughs> you know what i mean it's like oh he's gonna erupt with his words yeah uh what are three records that you're really loving right now oh uh here it's called I've been actually listening to records. This one is so cool. It's called Bless Up, Ernest Wranglin, and Avila. It's old. I don't know. It's not. I don't even know if you'd be able to like find it. I just. Uh, did just, you find it? Uh, what's it? What's the record called? Bless Up. Yeah. It's. I found it here on Spotify. I listened. To oh, it. it's there, dude. It's. It's some rootsy ass reggae, but Ernest Ranglin's like my favorite guitar player, and he just, man, he just really fucking crushes guitar. It's so melodic and beautiful. He plays like a bumblebee. I love it. Um, the other records I've been listening to, um, we listening to Frozen Two a lot. Um, the soundtrack to Frozen Two. My daughters make me play it constantly. <laughs> yeah, I heard you. Know, I was like, oh man, I want. I, I took Hattie to see it in the theaters, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about all these new songs. I was like, that one kind of seems like an '80s rock ballad. I don't know if '80s rock ballad fits Frozen Two. It's really like judgmental on the songs. <laughs> like, and now I'm like, into the unknown. Like, <laughs> Yeah, dude, my son is obsessed with uh, nursery rhymes, man. Oh, like, yeah. And it's so weird. Uh, we've also realized that he really loves Op Ivy. Sick. Um, whole era of punk rock. I think there's just something about that really crunchy. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Guitar that he just fucking really digs. Um, yeah. My one-year-old is, she is obsessed with music. I, don't, I, don't, I think she got the, uh, the her dad's little gene there. She, I had this little uh, recorder, that, like a, it's like a JBL flip four or whatever. And she just carries it around with her. She puts it right on her heart and she makes me play songs through it. Mainly I've been working with um, Nate for my Terra on some new stuff. Literally sent me something day before. And dude. Yeah. He's crushing the reggae tunes for me. Dude, you hear he's cool like, story? yeah. You know, it's so funny, dude, because him and I are like total bros, and we've only yeah. heard one person once. Um, so dude, you he's know, the best all the time when people are like, "Hey, man, let's collab on a song. Let's collab on a song." He hit me up and goes, "Hey, man, we had never met, we had never talked or anything." He goes, "Hey, man, I love your shit. I really want to do a song with you." And he the the text was like perfect. No one was in my house. I had my guitar sitting at my desk. I was like, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna write something." So I write the hook and the verse for this thing called One Life. And I yeah. put it on my iPhone, sent it to him. Th 
30 minutes after he sent me that text and he goes, cool, man, I'll get this ready and I'll hit you back. Like five days later, sends me a full, full fucking track. Drums, bass, harmonies, like. Dude, that's what he did with me. Oh, he's a beast. Unreal, dude. And literally just like had all of his shit locked down and just left my verse vacant. Was like, cool, there you go, man. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And it's like ridiculous shit too. His, he's so good at it. Yeah, I have him working on, we're doing, we're, one of our songs is coming out on May 1st and we're doing another one come out a little later. He's so good at that. That's exactly what happened to me, dude. I just said, yo, bro. I sent him a notes demo of a song I had just written while I was listening to Ayaterra. So it had like a bit of the Ayaterra vibe to it. So I just wanted to send it to him and be like, yo, dude, like you kind of inspired this track. Hope you're doing well. A week later, the song comes back to me. I didn't ask him to do it. It just comes back to me done. Like everything's finished except there's no vocals in it. He's like, yo, you'll send some Vox over. I'm like, dude, what the hell? (laughs) Champion. I think there's that whole like, Cause that's how stick figure. I've never met that dude. And that's how he does his shit too. Huh? He's yeah. Sticky's Sticky's the one man band. Well, his band's incredible live, but yeah, he does it all himself. Yeah, it's, they've got a great spot out there, man. In Oakland. I love hanging out there. Yeah. It's, I've never, uh, I never it's met green days. It's green days old studio. Yeah, that's right. So it's interesting. You know, we just started working with ineffable um, agent wise. And then we put out a record with root fire. Um, and so I just kicked it with Thomas for the first time at Arizona Roots, man. We chopped it up for like two hours. Um, Thomas is a good dude, man. He's a really, really solid guy. Real good dude. And just Trevor's with them now. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's interesting yep. how everything's kind of weaving together through Ineffable and um and what they're doing. So I figure it's a matter of time before uh before I link with with them. Um yeah, dude, we gotta do a song together. You literally are the number <laughs> one, you and Trev. And what's funny, dude, I'm going to put Trev on the spot. It's funny because this will get released after I release the Trev one. In 2017, me and Carl rushed to put a song together because we were on tour with Trev. Or yeah. announced this tour with Trev, and I sent him the song. It's still waiting for a motherfucking verse. <laughs> he promised uh, he'll do it. Um, bro, yeah, he was pretty quick with me with, for Fading State, uh, but he, had, he was home and chilling. So he was just sitting in front of his computer. So it's probably a little easier for him. Yeah, and I know how hard it is, too. That's what's so tough with us is it's like, you know, people are like, oh, when can I get that verse? And I'm like, well, I don't really know, dude, because I'm only going to be home for three days during this time. And, like, yeah, I'll have just played, you know, 100 shows. So I don't know how vibed I'm going to be to, like, you know. Record. Some some verse, like, some songs I get sent to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. Like, I'll definitely be able to hit something on that. And then some I say yes to, even though I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm like struggling yep. to find my cadence in this groove or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And like, it always works out though. And I find that the ones that I'm, the ones that like, I'm like, oh yeah, no doubt I can phone that in easy. Like that's right up my wheelhouse. Like I'll find the rhythm in that easy. Um, those are always cool. But the ones that I like the most are always the harder ones that I have to like really think outside the box to make something cool. I loved you had a verse on the I Terror record. Yeah, that you? one life song. That, yeah, that was what I was talking that about. That was oh, that's the one. Oh bro, I didn't know. That song is super dope. Yeah. It was Cat Cass on that too? Yeah. Yo. Well, Cass threw down on that as well. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh, that was the dream too, was like we did that song so long ago, and that's been like the conversation of when do we get to do this shit live? 
Um, and the plan. You gotta go with that. You gotta do Shangri La, right? <sighs> yeah, that was the plan. We were gonna do it there and um, uh, and Cali Roots. Yeah, dude. The thing that sucks, man, is that I had this whole. I mean, everyone had their shit plan that is now shit on. But that Cali Roots weekend. Oh yeah. Manager's wife uh, is a business manager at a huge firm. You know, they handle like Bruno Mars, Justin Bieber. Yeah. Uh, so the plan was, I was gonna, we were gonna go to Cali Roots. We played on Friday. Saturday, I was gonna sit in with Trev and Ayatara, and then Sunday we were gonna drive up to Bottle Rock, and I was gonna kick it with Franti at Bottle Rock, and we we're gonna stay at this badass house in Napa, and then yeah. I back to Chicago and kick it with like my brother-in-law, my sister, who are like you know my besties. That whole right. was just gonna be like gangbusters, coolest shit ever. And yeah, that was my uh, first thought when everything got canceled. I was like, "Fuck, man!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> so cool. Ah, uh, bro. Again, man. It's just you know, if it was on, if it was on there on the books yesterday, it'll be on there tomorrow too. But yeah, we'll all find time to make everything we were gonna do happen again. Well, I'm sure. Well, I'll. But yeah, man, we should do a song. Yeah, we will. We will. I've been writing like crazy, and I actually just got into the home recording thing. Um. Picked a real yeah, we, time to get we on. Could get, we could get Nate to produce it. It would be really sick. That would be sick. We could write it and just send him the demo, and then we'll get a finished song back. We can just throw some yeah, guitar no. vocals on it. <laughs> oh, shit. That actually might be the way. Uh, seriously. On a song, too. Fuck, we could get him to do a verse, too. It would be awesome. Yeah. Dude, that's the plan. I'm going to fuck around and try and find something today. And All right. Yeah, let's do that. All right. I'm down with that. All right, bro. Well, I'm going to let you go. Uh it's really good talking to you. Really good to connect, man. It's yeah, man. Weird times, but this has been really cool. Um, you know, aside from just having the content of a podcast, it's been really cool to check in with everybody and and connect. I think it's important that we all stay stay connected during this time. So, yeah, dude, for sure. Appreciate you taking time, brother. And yeah, man. I'd send my love to your fam. Yeah, you as well. All right, homie. We'll talk soon. Peace. All right, y'all. Hope you enjoyed that episode. On the next episode of the Satsung Podcast, we will have my brother Chase Gamble. Chase Gamble's a professional MMA fighter, a phenomenal human being. He's a coach, uh, and he's just an overall badass man. He's one of the sweetest men I've ever met, too. So, real excited about that one. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, Hit me up on Instagram and all of that, and let me know who you want me to have on the podcast. Everyone keeps saying yes, so keep listening, and we'll see you next week. Peace.